This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian slash comedian Dennis Miller and his guy Friday Christian Blatt. So let's light that candle, Hiroshi. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Miller! Hey, welcome to the Dennis Miller Option. And uh, what was that last show? Uh, they've got one studio at, the, or is it two studios at? Uh, hi, folks. They've got two studios at uh, Podcast One in L.A. Uh, I think, or even it's one. It's really maybe. one and a half. All right, yeah. so one and a half. The other one doesn't have audio, which is yeah. bad for a podcast. But um, the one in front of me, what was that? That's uh, John Taffer, who I think you did. An interview oh, I did his show. Yeah. So he just works right up until one minute after his allotted time, and he, then he wanted you got to keep, break into him. He wanted to keep going, and uh, Casey produces his show too. So he uh, tackled him. Uh, he it's like a DEA ram to get that fucker <laughs> off the air. What was? All right, save me a minute. Note to self: out a minute earlier today. <laughs> Blame Taffer. Um. So where? What's what's happening, Christian? How was your week? You good? My week was good. Uh, you know, we had so that's much. That's enough. That's, okay. Don't don't no, ruin right. the story. <laughs> that's that's my fault. <laughs> I should have known better. That's like that old Marty Short <laughs> thing I told you. Where um, Chris Guest said to Marty, uh, "Tell me about your new film." And it was Captain Ron, <laughs> with Ian Kurt Russell. And Marty said, uh, "Well, I play a." Uh, Guy on a vacation on a boat, Chris put his finger up and said, I didn't say ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) He's so dry. Jesus God. Talk about getting laser sword with a laser lightsabered with the driest touch possible. (laughs) That's all you hear before he takes you out. Um, So um, I'm going to say. I'm going to start a new segment today called Trend Lines. I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers up and Les Moonves down. <laughs> you really went out on a limb there. I'm going to say Jack, Jack, Jack. <laughs> Moonves, what the fuck <laughs> Jesus. is he doing? Well, not much now. Well, listen, I'm a big Ileana Douglas fan. Oh, She's a too. cool dame. So when I read that first thing, I had worked with her at the... Uh, Turner Classic Film Festival, and she's just a great dame, candid, cool. You know, uh, when I read that, I knew I knew he was uh, guilty in that regard. She just wouldn't hatch that. And now, I guess Ron Farrow's working out some Woody Allen angst against <laughs> other dad figures or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody's but like, every what day the fuck I get up with Woody. <laughs> Every day, I used to go to H and H Bagel on Sunday morning for a nice bagel. Now I get up and see who Ronan Farrow's disembodied. <laughs> so it's six new women and uh, Les is out. Uh, and uh, I, I don't see. Do you really see Les Moonves at this point getting hundred million dollars? Oh, I mean, can you no, imagine no, no, no. the you and cry? But what really? What are you going to do? Nobody can do anything. So they might. Because he knows where they're – I don't think they get it because uh, they're fond of him now. I think they're probably starting to think, wow, Les, really? You're just grabbing women's heads and forcing them down? Uh, but uh, I do think he knows where everybody's buried. Everybody's buried. So there are eight other guys over there, figure guys like that, who really have to you know, have to get in there and lobby for some sort of payout. 
But I read since 2004 that Moonves has made uh, his compensation has been over a billion dollars, a billion uh, since 2004. So if I was him at this point, you know, you, you can never understand the money till you don't have what you assume you need, right? And uh, you think Moonves, with his investments, first dollar profit participations, there's uh, let's not call it inside trading because you know he gets sued, but uh, let's call it friendly advice over the years. You know, guys like Moonves, movie stars, people like that, they hear things. So I'd got to say that you, you you know you'd think the thing in show business is you always think uh, half of what you make. But he's so savvy, and I'm sure his investments have done well. Um, and if he's made that since 2004, wouldn't you have to assume? He hasn't spent it on planes. He's always been wired into a job where his plane's taken care of. He's worth in the high hundreds of millions of dollars minimally, right? Minimally. I definitely minimally. agree with that, yeah. And uh, I don't know. So in other words, at 68, he can spend, let's say he gets 80. 12 more years, he, he can literally spend $40 million a day, or I mean a year, right? And then, you know, not even get into his, uh, you know, and that's with whatever he earns. I'm just saying, he's got 40 to $50 million a year now to live a life till he's 80. And I, I can't believe he's going to try to get this uh, $100 million, right? Wouldn't you just say, listen, I, I I screwed up. I'm I'm a human being. I I got overly mad with hubris and horniness, and I took advantage. I'm a bit of a pig. I'm trying to make it right. I've got a wife and kids now. I adore. I look back. I'm ashamed. And whatever settlement I get, I'm going to give it all away. I don't know. Wouldn't that make sense? It would make, you need six hundred million. <laughs> it would make sense, but he strikes me more as the kind of guy that's like, "What? I earned it. That's my money." I understand, but the, there's a there's a ride off into the sunset and I'm not even sure the hundred million could buy his way out of some of these ugly imagery, but I don't know. At least you tried, right? That's all you can do. Your head hits the pillow from there on in. You say, I, I'm not taking any settlement. I, I don't deserve it for this. Take all. I, I would negotiate it like I wanted it hard ass wise and then give it all away or no, because then if you don't get it, you don't even, I just say, listen, give me what you want to give me and I'm giving it all away to, uh, all, Whatever, something serious, though, not, uh, you know, um, some of these accusations. I remember Aziz and Sari had a bad date or something. Where... Yeah, that, that's really what that one chopped up. Jesus yeah. Christ. So that's lumped in with this. I'm, I'm just waiting Women for... who have been raped or abused <laughs> yeah. or halfway house for women who have been left on, you know, as human wreckage on the side of the road by piggish men. Whatever that charity is, give it to them. Build some. I don't, I don't even know. I, I God, there's so much charity. You, you have to watch that now. That seems like a cottage industry. Like who's who's, you know, you read about those two people who did the GoFundMe site, or crowdfunding the, the site for the street farm guy. Yeah. And listen, you know, sometimes, I don't know if you want to. Sometimes the uh, street farms kind of dig that life. I know everybody's going to say, I'm not saying it's a lot, but you watch uh, Preston Sturgis and that. And sometimes when you try to rectify things overnight, um, it's too quick a reentry or something. It's like uh, James Whitmore in Shawshank or something. 
you know, you get let out, you're bagging groceries. Next thing you know, you're hanging from your belt off the the beam in your room. Um, you got to go slowly with that. And I can see them maybe putting the money in some sort of blind trust that is family controls. You know what I mean? But how the fuck did they get involved where they had him in a trailer out in the front and they had uh, him in a uh, in a uh, used truck, which made me laugh. Like, if you do get 400000 for a guy, I don't know what the tax is on that, but the fact that the his savior is deemed that he deserved a used truck blows my mind. I'm talking about there's some sort of blue chip thing where you can take the four, not pay taxes on it right away, put it in almost like a interest yielding thing, you know, like guaranteed blue chips, uh, bonds, uh, savings bonds, whatever. If it kicks out 4% a year, what is that? One twenty fifth of 400, you're talking about maybe 17, 18 grand a year the guy gets. And uh, I don't know at that point, don't you have to leave it up to him? Um but for them to all of a sudden become his mom and dad seems so weird to me. And now they've been accused of. Uh, by the way, if you're gonna if you're gonna steal, you got to go on higher end vacations than Disney. <laughs> you know that's what cracks me. They stole it all. What they do? They took a weekend at Disney. No, you're shitting me. You got to push all in and get a you know Lamborghini or something with one fell swoop. You can't say. Um, well, how's about this? We got two baked potatoes at the Sizzler. <laughs> it's like a little too low rent. If you're going to ride off into the crime sunset, you got to do something a little, a little more flourish of the cape than that. Huh? We bought some CDs, motherfucker. <laughs> Six of them. And I got a Fiona Apple one for half. Oh, really? That's a, that's a good deal. Um. <laughs> So that was the, the crime was a little sad. That might be a good segment for the show, Christian. Sad crime. Gave a shit about working. Uh, sad crime. <laughs> just sorry, crime that's embarrassing just, to the perpetrator. Just wh- while I take this down, uh, if which one of us gave a shit about working? Me. Okay. M E. <laughs> wanted to make sure I knew. <laughs> just putting it down right. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Moonves. I think at some point in this little tirade, I said some street bums dig being street bums. You did say that, yeah. I'm trying to think, should I walk that back? No, No, I do believe that. I think some do. Um, You know, I don't think they want to be bereft street bums. And I, you know, I I just think they don't want to be. uh, um, Sometimes they just want to be taken to Disneyland, too. Listen. Get me somebody spokesperson for the street bum community so I can apologize about this whole notion. And I need to get get gotten off the hook. I I feel like it's probably Al Sharpton. He's the guy that gets all the apologies these days. I'm fucking believable. When Al Campanis had to apologize to Jesse Jackson. Do you remember that? I actually don't remember that one, no. Al Campanis was a GM for the Dodgers. And I forget that I'm ancient. No, I mean, but, I, I know uh, that, but I didn't mean to apologize to Jesse, yeah. Well, because of what he said, he said something stupid on, uh, uh, something like age, a, uh, chronologic, chronologically stupid, right. you know, where you could just tell the guys from a different era. But then you go back and check Campanis's record, and when Jackie Robinson first comes up and goes in the Dodger organization to Montreal, I think Campanis is his roommate. 
Because, you know, there's still so many pigs in the, in baseball. Like, I can name a few names that I've read over the years, but why besmirch counts are in their grave now? But, you know, racism was such accepted thing. So Campanus walked the walk. And uh, he said something, you know, like Archie Bunkerish about the past era, and he was over, and he had to apologize. Jimmy the Greek, they have to apologize to Jesse Jackson. Oh, yeah, Jackson so what he God said sake. in 1987, he said that uh, blacks, and this is a quote from Al Campanis, may not have some of the necessities to become managers or high-level team executives. So the Dodgers had to fire him. Yeah. But he, he, to get back in, you've got to go to these gatekeepers, and you're thinking, for God's sakes, who, who's gonna, who do I beg absolution from to get back in? Well, we've got the guy who called New York Heimitan over here. <laughs> He's your first stop. Really? I gotta kiss his ass? Yeah, and then you gotta go talk to the Tawana Brawley guy. You gotta talk yeah. to both of them. <laughs> oh, really? The guy who put the whammy on the clothier in Harlem who got torched, killed. All right, I'll queue up to him after. And then have you set the Pol Pot meeting? Because <laughs> I'd like to, I don't want to come in two days that week from the island, so maybe if you could get him and Torquemada, we can both meet somewhere. I can piggyback meetings. Um, anyway, um, bad bad week for Les Moonves. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> and now here's, uh, listen, there's a whole bunch of... Uh, uh, there's a whole bunch of tendrils that come off this core issue. And I think the the one most pertinent to my listeners, I would say, obviously, does Chen keep Big Brother? Yeah. Or does she want to keep Big Brother? And she also has a, a show that's like The View called The Talk that's on in the afternoons. And they were having their big season premiere today. So uh, Wait a second. There's something that I don't even know about and I follow the world pretty well yeah. called The Talk. She's on it with – And you're uh, saying it was their big season opener? Well, for them. Is, is it a big show? It's a show with Sharon Osbourne and Sarah Gilbert who's from Roseanne. I mean it's it's not as big as The View and The View's not that big. So, you know, it's for people who have their TV on all day. They know who And I just is. want to get this straight and I go way back with Joy <laughs> as a comedian. But Joy's like a social commentator now? Yeah, I th you know I think she's a lot less comedian than uh, you know somebody who uh, right. talks about the issues. All right, but taken seriously. Uh, I think that uh, at first she was just there just for laughs, and I think she maybe got a little caught up in the cause with a capital C over there at uh, at the. Has view. she gotten thicker glass glass lenses? Because I always <laughs> notice that's the move. <laughs> when somebody gets avuncular, they have to go to a thicker lens. Or, no, it's not called lens frames. You know what I mean? They get the clunkier Lou Wasserman frames, you know? Yeah, I think I, I think she's uh, working her way up to Buddy Holly uh, somewhere in the yeah, future. That's, it. that's yeah. when you know somebody's ascribed <laughs> emeritus status as far as it's... All right, listen, like I said, Joy was a funny comedian, but I, I did not see that way back when. She didn't even have those predispositions to uh, talking about that stuff. But she is now an arbiter of uh, mores. And uh, politics in this country, um, but uh, so Julie Chen is uh, Moonves's wife, and she hosts uh, what is it called, Christian? The, the talk. talk. All right, uh, I think that'll remain intact because they really can't fire her from a. Um, is that a woman's affirmation sort of group? I would say that that's yeah, yeah that, that's fairly accurate. Well, you can't whack her for her husband's uh, crimes at that point. But uh, does she even want to work for CBS now on the Big Brother? And by the way, I have watched Big Brother in snippets. 
maybe five times in my life. And is it the most complicated fucking show or am I just an idiot? I always turn in and it's like you pay, play a game to become Big Brother Paddlestat or... Yeah, I I haven't watched it much, but I I always I feel like there's a they're it. speaking a language that I don't get. Like I don't have the shorthand because I didn't watch it from the beginning. You know, like like I didn't watch Survivor the first season, but I turned it tuned in the second season. I'm like, okay, I get this. I understand now. You know, this uh, Big Brother. I'm just like, man, I'm just missing the whole thing. Yeah, this had a lot of stuff. It was like William Golding. Is that the guy who wrote Lord of the Flies, or is that Edmund? Gold? What is Edmund Golding? Is that an actor? His name's William Golding. A uh, very intricate set of who possessed the conch shell, and I sensed a lot of that over in. Uh, um, is it William? Uh, yes, the author of Lord of the Fro- Flies. Lord of the Fries is different. William Golding, yes. Lord of the Fries, of course, the Ray Kroc biopic. <laughs> I think Michael Keaton was in the movie of that. Yes. Um, you know, Ray Kroc went in to pitch. Uh, he had blenders. That was his big thing at the beginning. Did you know that? Uh, from that movie, but yes. <laughs> that, oh, that's oh, why right. I know it. I, I have not seen the movie, oh, okay. but I do remember that uh, he he would go in and pitch multi-pronged blenders, which yeah. I believe, Christian, was your porn name. Yes. Uh, you know, I just shortened it to... If I'm not mistaken, when you were into Asian... Well, that was, so that was the blend part was that I was into everything. You know, it wasn't just Asian Uh, that and uh, the multi-prong. I think that speaks for itself. I I remember going with you to an autograph show at the (laughs) Budokan where you were thought to be a, uh, what do they call you? We went in and all these people, Yankee Dervish, (laughs) Yankee Dervish. Signing a lot of babies' Uh foreheads and things like that. But, uh, you know, it goes with the territory, you know. Uh <laughs> Can you tell my favorite story about what? when you did the autograph signing at the supermarket? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! What a nightmare, <laughs> folks! I'm ta- I'm telling you, other than being overly exalted at very specific nanoseconds during your career, where you're ashamed that you're receiving um, some crazily over overly adulated thing, every other day is a fucking goat fuck. <laughs> A constant humbling, a constant reminder that you're just some joke chimp. <laughs> I was I was working at St. Louis at some uh, theater in the round called the Westport Playhouse. And I remember it had a ramp up from the bowels of the uh, playhouse where you'd come up and I would always come up. Uh, I would have the crowd prepped to all be chanting low to hide, Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. <laughs> and I'd come up and skate around the perimeter of the circle for around five minutes just to feel like Jimmy Conn and rollerball. And it would get progressively louder. And then I would uh, have something in my hand, not a ball. I didn't go that far with it, but crumple up paper. And I would jam it into a score zone and then start my show. Uh, needless to say, I haven't been back there in a long time. <laughs> but I think Jimmy Kahn's been there doing an evening with Robert Morris. Bobby Morris, to you. Thank you. But uh, <laughs> so I'm doing Northport Playhouse. I'm just new on Saturday Night Live. And some guy calls me and he's opening a supermarket in uh, Cape Girardeau, which oh. is. Uh, where Rush Limbaugh is born. That is correct, yes. So anyway, it's uh, 
By the way, the biggest thunderstorms you've ever seen in Missouri, I don't know what it is. Is it about it being the middle of the country and that's where the sore drain is? Because the, I have been in such thunderstorms there, you know, driving to Springfield one night. Christ almighty. It was like... But um, the guy says he's opening the supermarket. <laughs> I'm such an asshole. It's Saturday and I've got a show Saturday night. And uh, I'm chasing it still. I don't have that much money. And this is a lot of money for me at this point. Well, still, listen, with the career downs I've had lately, <laughs> a lot of money tomorrow. If he wants to call again, I'm right there. Yeah, you'll be at the Ralph's on Ventura on Thursday. Oh, I can't come. I've got a podcast. <laughs> really? You and every fucking human being in China. So... He says, do you want to come down and open a supermarket for me and sign some autographs? I'll give you 5K. I go, what are you, shitting me? How far is it? He says, an hour and a half, maybe. I'll send a car. So he sends me a car, and uh, I go down, and I'm sitting at a table up near the front of the uh, <laughs> the supermarket, uh, beyond the registers, but before the front door, the exit door. And uh, people are coming over and handing me the sheets of paper, and I'm signing them. But I'm, I'm getting no feedback from the people. You know, it's not any adulation. There's no interchange even. They're just sort of handing it to me. Sometimes I'll sign it, and they'll still be talking to the person they're with. <laughs> and I figured out they think I'm the cop who has to sign their receipt before they leave. <laughs> Nobody knows me as a celebrity because I'm a nouveau. And it's not my demo. It's all older women shopping. Sure. And they're literally putting their receipts down, and I'm signing them in a smell, and then they walk out with their groceries. They think that's it. <laughs> like, I'm the cop, the rental cop. <laughs> so now I'm really humbled, but I'm thinking, oh, fuck it. I don't care if they don't even stop and steal the stuff. Um, for 5K, I'm here. I have to do an hour. Are you kidding me? 5K? Um, and then around 55 minutes into it, um, this kid who looks like Robert Smith from The Cure comes in. <laughs> Completely got that. It's like noon. <laughs> and he's almost in tears, and he looks at me. He's trembling. He looks like Edward Scissorhands with real paws. And he says, uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, I'm signing autographs. He says, my grandmother was shopping. She told me you're here. I said she could. It couldn't be. <laughs> and he stormed out. <laughs> Welcome to fame, kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so mortifying. But I kind of like that stuff once in a while. It reminds you not to become an asshole because that's how tenuous your grasp is. Nobody there knew who I was. Why would they? I do the news on Weekend Update. Uh, but, and the one kid who does is disappointed because I'm <laughs> such a whore. Oh, it was hilarious. And I think the guy that asked me to... No, that's something else. I have another cloudy memory of a cat named Dan Casagrande in Pittsburgh. He ran a great bar called Brandy's in the Strip District. And uh, I remember I asked him if I could jump up at his happy hour and do some jokes. And he said, sure. He saw me in a club. I was just starting. I went into the club, and uh, he had no mic, and he had no stage. It was just a bunch of people trying to get laid at, on, like, Friday at 5.30. And he said, go ahead. And I just had to mingle around the room and start cranking up jokes. 
Wow. I'd go, hey, uh, I had breakfast at the International House of Pancakes. People are looking at me like whether they should call the police. I said, I'm a, I'm a comedian. He's hired me. People are just walking off. I remember laughing at that, too. I remember getting hit with a beer bottle once at a strip club because I made a joke about some guy's wife. Uh, he was a real prick in the crowd and, uh, you know, big Italian mook with his uh, wife who looked like the Anamanini or something. And I said, hey, uh, uh, they, I hear that there were Siamese twins born at uh, Montefiore <laughs> Hospital today. That's the big hospital position. Yeah, they had to separate, and they were joined at the mustache. Boom! <laughs> Fucking beer bottle hits me. <laughs> and I always like those moments because uh, it should be humbling. It's such a preening business, show business. You know, I, listen, I've had a great run. I'm very lucky. But I was always a little sheepish about that. Uh, because, you know, I always think of myself as the guy watching the act. So to be the act... Um, I guess I had a blessing job, and uh, I, I dig writing jokes. But the, the actual art of assuming that you're uh, in something called show business that delineates you from the great unwashed is such a jerk-off endeavor. <laughs> and I was always mortified by it. When you became, like, flattened out, ground-bound in any given instant, I thought, good, you deserve this. What are you doing? You know, standing up with a mic? Here's some thoughts on it. <laughs> Uh, while he uh, didn't hear those specific memories, we are joined now in studio by Tom Papa, who can probably relate to, uh, you know, maybe some early in his career uh, things that didn't go as planned. The Pops. What's shaking? How are you? Nice Young to... kid with a dream, my friend. I was just talking about uh, showbiz memories and uh, how nice. I always found humbling moments to be um, enjoyable way because i was always a little sheepish about the preening nature of show business so <laughs> yeah, when a... i would get flattened by it when i would find andromeda strain on the shower curtain in the comedy condo i'd have to <laughs> laugh and say well you chose to be in this idiot buck up yeah anyway how are you my friend? i'm good it's always a confirmation that this whole thing is ridiculous <laughs> at its core that like one man walking up on stage like no let me tell you how it is <laughs> yeah it's, it is weird and uh i'm i'm, I'm pretty much a, mem a charter member of the hoi polloi uh, who who wrote some jokes for other people and saw them tell them on the tonight show and thought well i can't sit in this shit 60 buck a month apartment because i'll fucking turn the pilot light out and watch other guys make carson sitting there in an ascot laugh i've got to become the conduit for my own material but I was reluctant to the fray, but then I enjoyed it. It's a, it's a great job. It's a fun job. I didn't and realize. Papa, I, I was reading your uh, curriculum vitae this morning. For God's sakes, I felt like, uh, um, you know, completely uh, lazy bones Jones. By the way, Tom's <laughs> website is Tom Papa, P A P A dot com. He's on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Papa, and his Facebook is comedian Tom Papa. But Christ, you got a lot of irons in the fire, my friend. I do. I currently have. Uh... Five jobs at the moment. <laughs> Does that include uh, going out to playing uh, Sancho Panza with the uh, the great uh, the great uh, Seinfeld? Uh, I don't go out with Jerry as much as I used to. I just got I got pretty busy. You know, it's it was very. There was a moment where I opened for Jerry for years, and you have that moment where you're like, "All right, I can keep doing this. This is a pretty cush gig. I'm flying on this." nice plane and mm -hmm. in front of the best audiences in the world yeah, they were great audiences oh, i saw so you too on that papa just blue 
Put it this way. There's not many comedians that are going to follow Palmer. And uh, Seinfeld <laughs> <Yeah>. was uh, – <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were simpatico. The rhythms were similar. But it was a great gig. But like yeah. you said, you got to get into the Papaville. Right? Yeah, you got to kind of – you could stay in that – in this, his in his uh, little camp forever. But I had to kind of break out and go do my thing. And uh, But I still try and do like one or two a year. Just It's like our golf weekend. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's our boys weekend out. Yeah. He's such a fun guy to just hang with, and you just—I just feel better about being a comedian every time I'm with him. Yeah, and you guys, uh, like I said, were so simpatico. The night I saw you, it was in Santa Barbara. I went over to the theater, and you know, during on break, I would eat the uh, a piece of gouda and a piece of uh, roast beef from the the craft service tray that they got me. And I'd go, I went to Jerry and said, "You guys are gonna get something to eat," and he said. Well, we're having a uh, salmon sous vide. Jesus, <laughs> these guys! It was perfect. It was like uh, two uh, two Felixes yeah. version of Odd Couple. <laughs> yeah, he's got. He's like a scientist with his life. Everything's so dialed in. It's crazy. Yeah, no, I Jerry made me laugh so hard once I asked him about something, and oh, I can't even say it because it would be betraying a story. Right. But uh, he is really, really analytical. Yeah, really brilliant and safe. Well, I can hear your rhythms. I can hear when you say "Yeah," but you guys uh, must have rode together for a long time. But let's talk Papa. All things Papa here, and once again. He's on Twitter and Instagram, at T-O-M-P-A-P-A. His Facebook is Comedian Tom Papa. Now, listen, I'm a big foodie, yeah, and uh, so this intrigues me. Yeah, um, but tell me about baked. Are you just a, are you a savory guy, a sweet guy, or a baked guy? What, what, uh, I, I like to go to restaurants all around the world, but I guess yeah. Phil Rosenthal's camped out on that with his delightful <laughs> personality. So what's your show? <laughs> With that strange oh, lizard, it's just a <laughs> blessing. Fast talking lizard. Yeah, just a blessing. <laughs> I uh, yeah, this is um, uh, it came out of nowhere really. I, I have the show on the Food Network called Baked, which is uh, on every Monday, where I go into these different cities and shine a light on all the best baked goods that I can find. And it all totally came from uh, baking bread. I learned <laughs> with. Uh, Bread was from a sourdough starter, that that was the way that bread was made thousands of years ago. It was just a bowl of flour with some water in it and all the yeast that's floating around us all the time went in there and started eating it and became this culture. And I just told that story to my family. That, Did you have any idea that this is how bread was made? And my daughter gave me a sourdough starter for Christmas. She was like probably 10 at the time and that was the gift that she gave me. And I... Never had a hobby before. I never, I just do stand up and write and do what I do. And I started baking bread and got into it. And when I would travel around doing stand up, I would visit these different bakeries just to get better at it and see what was going on, see where they got their flour. And it just caught on on social media. I did some podcasts and I was talking about it. And the New York Times did an article on people with their sourdough starter that they included me in. And, uh, and then the Food Network caught wind of it, and now I have this crazy show where I'm just driving, flying around to all these different no, cities. That's so wild the way things come from you least expect it. I know, because like you were saying earlier about the show business thing, like, I would do anything to get on TV. I'm writing things, pitching things, trying to right. do whatever I can. And then just baking bread with my daughter. That's how I slide onto television again. It was pretty funny. And Christian, my sidekick, by the way, uh, don't I remember you telling me that you were once in a uh, improv group 
down in the marina with Michael Lembeck called sourdough starter? <laughs> yeah, but again, as always, there's litigation with these things, so we just had to change it to sourdough. It was gang. all about yeah. the turf. Sourdough with, uh, gang. All yeah, about we were the, the sourdough gang, Lembeck. and uh, we showed them. I had the same problem with Michael or with Roy London. I was over there doing my acting. My early chops. I, I, have you ever been to um, Pompeii, by the way? Um, no. Oh, you got to go there because when you go there, you know it was covered immediately in the, uh, yeah. in the so it's in suspended. I always wonder—is that word animation? Suspended animation, yeah. animation. animation. And uh, they have bread doughs starters, I guess, right. still sitting on tables. That got, Jeez, uh, yeah. yeah. Kind of, the history kind of, of it—it's very—it's very intriguing. It's really, you know, I just got into it in all these different facets, and the, the one was that I—I I was. I mean, I was like, why are we the generation that has to stop eating bread? I don't understand why. <laughs> right. For thousands of years, people are enjoying their lives, celebrating, breaking bread with each other. It's a real human ritual. And we show up and they're like, no, <laughs> you guys, you're going to get fat for yeah. this training session that we're all involved in. I, I'm not sure what it is. Oh, and I, I realized when I started making it, you know, bread is flour, water, salt, and yeast. That's it. And you go to the, get the best bread you can get for your family at the supermarket. It's 30 ingredients. I'm like, this is why people are getting sick. This is why people are having stomach right. problems. And we're eating this bread. No one's getting fat. Everybody's happier about it. The smell of bread wafting through the house all the time. And I was like, well, this is – we should be enjoying our lives. Why should we be the ones – who have to like because deny we're pains in the asses because oh, bring down is our creativity nowadays. All the intrepid behavior in the world has happened already, yeah. so we got to be the community that walks all this shit back. The Concord, <laughs> I can get to Paris in three and a half hours. We got to let it go. Somebody out in Far Rockaway heard a boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kidding. Me. Like, what? come on. I don't understand. I, I, I can't have a cannoli. <laughs> I want to have a sticky bun. I want to enjoy my life. So I just wanted this show to just be that, to just be a celebration of like, come on, guys. I mean, how, what are we yeah, training right. for? What are we right. doing exactly? If if these this is it, these are the good times. Like if you if you're listening to this show, if you're coming to see me live, this is it. I don't know you, but I know that it's not going to get better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. let's enjoy ourselves. Everybody's on the waiting line to get into Club Celiac now. <laughs> I, went to oh. I went to a mass for the first time in 30 years, and they had the gluten-free body of Christ. You know, because <laughs> one, one hates to get the, the creator lodged in your duodenum, and you have to flush it out with water. He turns it into vine, wine. The tannis mixes with the bread, your flatulent. My it's buddy all, was, uh, my buddy was flying uh, overseas last week. He was doing shows in Asia. So he was on, I forget what, what airline, one of the big Asian airlines. Who uh, my buddy, Paul, oh, okay. who opens for me, Paul Morris, a very funny guy. He called up, he showed me on his phone as he was checking in for his flight, the list of dietary restrictions, options, when you're ordering your meal on the flight. I'm telling you, it was 15 different conditions long. Pescatarian, vegetarian, gluten-free, low sugar, diabetic. I mean, on, on the I think the whole thing went wrong for when they came up with "Have It Your Way" <laughs> back in the seventies. That was the biggest mistake because now every single one of the seven billion people thinks that they can have it their way. It's like you know when you come out 
into the field with the rest of us. Just go with the flow. Right. If you don't like it, you don't like the burger, take it off, eat the bun, and when you get home, you act that way. That literally, a, a, an airline who can't even get food right to begin with now mm-hmm. has to be concerned with everybody's dietary restrictions. Like, all right. I'm I'm fascinated by the by the way by the concept of an opening act that's translatable to Pacific Rim. Who, what is this got a mime? How how does <laughs> your, well, I used to have opening acts that come out and they talk about what part of the chicken is the McNuggets and then they pretend they were an erection after four hours. Your your guy is going over and playing the Budokan. I, I don't know what he's doing. It shows how well I pay him. <laughs> We're talking to Tom Papa, TomPapa.com. He's on Twitter, Instagram at Tom Papa, and his Facebook is Comedian Tom Papa. That's P-A-P-A. He is a uh, renaissance man. We've talked about <laughs> Bake. And by the way, Baked airs Mondays on the Food Network at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And by the way, my son, Holden, who is, has a little bit of a... Uh, Larry Darrow in him, the protagonist from The Razor's Edge, where he wanted to try things in life to find some sort of soulfulness. He went and baked bread for a year, and he told me that uh, he said it wasn't for me for good. And there were days it was a blast furnace. It was like working, you know, with a, a snow shovel outside a Bessemer converter. But he said <laughs> it was also cool in a way. He said it was so primal and basic, yeah. and I would hand warm bread to customers. And he said, I really felt part of some sort of uh, meaningful change it is amazing and that's kind of what i find with all these people they're all kind good people like you you very seldom find an a-hole who decides they're going to bake cookies for the community right (laughs) you know what i mean they're like there's a passion that that got them all into it which they you have to have it's similar to stand-up it's like you have to love this because it's really hard like to these people i know it's naive to think like when I would walk into a coffee shop or a bakery and there's just this whole case filled with all of these treats, mm-hmm. you just think, oh, they're, they're always here. <laughs> and yeah. Now I'm eating these poor bastards that are making this stuff every day. They're there at 2 o'clock in the right, morning. 2 in the morning. God, it's hard work. But there is something amazing about it that they you bake stuff and you put your heart and soul into it. The community comes. The community is changed by it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really unique great experience not that there are no asshole bakers and i cite these cellophane packs of uh <laughs> mrs wc fields chocolate chips at the, uh, <laughs> the impulse buy at the checkout a bit of a curmudgeon doesn't like kids um <laughs> papa does your dad stole my rake and other family dilemmas in the book this sounds like it has a little bit of a dave barry uh transerm a bombbeck thing to it tell yeah. me about the book those names went through my head when i was uh pounding it out <laughs> uh yeah it's a whole book it's my first book it's all about family life broken down by everyone in your family mothers fathers cousins crazy aunts uncles pets and uh, it's all funny essays, just all about family life. And it uh, came out uh, just recently. It's doing really well. We're in our third printing, which is great relief because it's a lot of uh, very personal stories. So if they didn't like it, uh, right. they don't like me. <laughs> Pops, I'm so happy for you, man. You've always been such a uh, hard worker. And, boy, it sounds like you're in some sort of a golden era right now, right? I'm uh, I'm cranking stuff out, for ah, sure. That's exciting. Man. Yeah. It's I'm glad great. you jumped off that thing. I know what you were saying. I visited you with Jerry, and I thought, 
It's a great gig, and he is fun to be out with, and he's yeah. insightful and cool. But you're right. You got to, I don't know, at some point you got to jump off and try your own thing, and it sounds like your own thing is going great guns. Man. Yeah, it's going all right. And and then after doing the book, you know, writing the book constantly, you get into this groove where you've got to, you you have to treat it as a job. You have to constantly write it. And as soon as that wrapped up, I picked up the um, – they asked me to take over the spoken word of the Prairie Home Companion. I know, I saw that too. Which live is now from live here. from here. I love that title. Yeah, it's so cool. So I just so I just it just kind of folded into that. So I have not stopped writing. I'm just like constantly yeah. doing it, which is great, which is fun. It's like I I you know a lot of comics write books and they're like I'll never do that again. I just I enjoyed that that process of just sitting there by myself and doing it, uh, not to replace stand up in any way, but. I do like sitting there and noodling around with words. Mm-hmm. It's a well. It cool turns thing. out there's a new, uh, newest incarnation, I should say, of the radio show a Prairie Home Companion. After it was revealed that Garrison Keillor was in fact a gingham fetishist, <laughs> and uh, Pops is on it doing Out in America <laughs> with Tom Pop. Two point eight million listeners. Tell me about your segment, man. What is it? A, a Charles Corral lope through the hoi polloi? Yeah, kind of. It's uh, I uh, I wanted to add a monologue to the show, and I was always a fan of Garrison's. I couldn't believe how prolific greatest he was. human who ever lived. Love principal, best guy, wisest, smartest, makes Mark Twain look like a shunner. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. We've covered ourselves. You're in. And uh, I was always just you know. Impressed. So, like, to be able to stand on that stage in St. Paul when we're there and and do a monologue was kind of, uh, you know, it was special. And uh, so I created this monologue called uh, Out in America, where I shine a light on all the good people out there in my travels. Because I'm on the road all the time. And uh, as I go around and I see different people, for the first time, you know, when you travel a lot, you kind of try and shut the world out at times and not participate just to get through it. Mm-hmm. And now, annoying conversations on the plane, or what I thought was an annoying at, at one time, I'm leaning in a little bit and stealing little bits of these people's lives and putting them into these monologues. And uh, and it's on every week. And it's uh, it's a lot. It's You definitely have to, you know, you're going to be in front of a couple million people each week. You have to, I started on... Monday and just keep rewriting, rewriting, rewriting as much as I can until I get to Saturday. And and it's good. It's people uh, are really responding to it, which is uh, super cool. Yeah, I think anybody out there who, uh, and I know there's a lot of intelligentsia in this country that construe the the people out in the hinterland to be idiots. I hear it all the time in our political discourse, but somebody ought to just go through it once in a while and uh, see the razor-sharp stranglehold on what matters and not matters in yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. To spend like a month on the road. That's oh. like, and I'm reading more books like this where a guy says, I took off from the nation for a year and went to see the nation. And, you know, and they're surprised that everybody's <laughs> not like a Morlock from the time machine stumbling around a cave fearing torches. For God's sakes. I, what, I'm supposed to go to Brett Ratner's house and think I'm in Gertrude Stein's salon? Shut up. I know it's really true. It's I don't know what it is. People get so uh, f- full of themselves in their own worlds and their own thing. And and you know I was guilty of it too. Not as a not in the intelligentsia way, but just you just kind of you always think what you're doing is right. And you know you're driving around and you're doing your thing. And like when I would first start out, I didn't want to tell people I was a comedian on the flight. And then it's like 
just talk to these people. What what are we doing here if not to relate and have a conversation with our fellow man? I mean, this is it. This is why we're here. Mix it up. These people are crazy and funny and insightful. Everyone has a story. Every single person out there that you agree with or or don't agree with, it's just you sit and talk to these people. There's this little humanity that pokes out. And I feel like if I could just shine a light on that a little bit through these monologues, it'll I'll be able to just kind of pass on what I've learned, which is it's a great, great big bullion base of a country and these people are fun and funny i mean i can't tell you how many lines these people have that as a comedian you'd wish that you had written them i know i i see it all the time because i i've always uh like i remember when i went out the door to become a comedian from pittsburgh my last thing my mom said to me as i left she said don't become an asshole and it always (laughs) stuck in my head and uh i i go out on the road to uh, well, on planes, I'm too busy eyeballing the Middle Eastern kid two rows behind me, working scenarios about me tripping him if he starts running up the aisle. All your really. kung, all your great kung fu moves yeah, that are yeah, going to come geez. out. I've got that elbow thing where you just step in like the Kembe Matumbo and you clip their chin, where you don't even bloody your elbow, you just clip it. And you think boom, this is a smart They're phone. on the button, and all of a sudden, my wife is holding onto my leg like Chevy in the one sheet for in the lobby for the vacation films, and you know. No, all that, but uh, never happens. No, so, of course not. Of course not. Of course it no, it's pretty. It's pretty remarkable, and it's and also that's the other thing. It's it's not only that everyone has a story and that they're all interesting; they're all kind to each other. For the majority, it, it's a yeah, weird majority, system that kind of yeah, works. Yeah. Like you get this idea that people are at each other's throats when they're one on one and just boarding a plane or just sitting in a diner or just you know doing whatever about their day. They're still just Americans just trying to get through and have a good time and have a couple laughs. You, you know, everybody's kind of – no. it doesn't go be – it doesn't get into that that discourse. It's just people just being people, which is – it's inspiring. Listen, as the great uh, Rockford Balboa said, you got yabs, I got gabs, we fill gap. <laughs> I don't think you have to go much further than that. <laughs> yeah, done. Um, now, I also see, though, an interesting Algonquin table forming here. You can talk about being out with the Norman Rockwell crowd, but then I see the names Rob Zombie and Stevie Soderbergh turn up as you're in your Ocean's <laughs> Eleven Rat Pack. What's uh, Let's talk Zombie first. How did you, I've met Rob before, too, and he's a pretty basic guy. Yeah, yeah. Hard but, worker. Uh, yeah, and an interesting cat. And I found him to be a nice, humble guy when I met him. But yeah, yeah. tell me about Zombie. How'd you hook up with him, and what are you doing? Yeah, we uh, we became pals uh, through a mutual friend that was an actress in one of his movies. And uh, we ended up – it was one of those moments where you end up at a wedding. They'd, he'd seen me perform. They brought they brought him along to see me do a show somewhere. And, uh, and then we were at their wedding, this mutual friend's wedding – we didn't know anybody. We we're just one of those travel weddings where we're stuck in Massachusetts somewhere, with, and I I don't know anyone, and Rob doesn't know anyone, and so we just spend the whole weekend, you know, hanging out with each other and just mocking the whole wedding, <laughs> you know, as you do. Comedian, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we became pals, and so then we wrote this crazy animated movie together. He's put me in his film, and uh, when I was doing uh, a couple of my stand-up specials. You know, there's so many of them out there. I wanted it to have a more of a film look to it. And I just brought it up to him. And he's like, well, I'm free in June. <laughs> and uh, 
He was the director for oh, two of my specials. Cool. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. And that was the Tom Papa special, Night of a Thousand Corpse Punchlines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. He just put me in his new film, uh, which is, uh, I forget, the Three from Hell or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to be, uh, the originally, I, I was going to have a role where I was going to die, which was so exciting to me. I was like, can I die in the movie? He's like, well, the way it's written now, if you can live without a face. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going to be great. But then it changed, and now I'm a news reporter. So I was a little bummed out. So you're still faceless. Um, yeah. <laughs> Slack of the pops. Um, Soderbergh. Now, he's Soderbergh's been retiring for the last year. He's like Strikes It. He's been retiring for 30 years now. Yeah. What's his latest This Is My Last Film project? I think I asked him I asked him not too long ago, so how many things are you working on? And I think his answer was 23. <laughs> <laughs> Is he still married to the chick who hosts the E's Travel Show? Yeah, Jules Asner. Jules Asner. Yeah, yeah. she's great. They're yeah, they great people. Cool. I mean, Rob, Rob and Steven are very similar where you go out and – hang out with them for a drink and you leave thinking, oh, I am the laziest person on earth. Because oh, really? These guys, he's, a, he's a super hard worker. They just both get up and go. They just don't, uh, they don't stop. He's just amazing how many things he's, he's he has another big film he's going to do. He just, I was just watching on the plane this film he did called Unsane uh, that Soderbergh shot on the whole feature film on an iPhone. <laughs> he's, he's just constantly coming up with new stuff, doing new things. He's a pretty prolific guy. And, you know, when he had, before I met him, I remember seeing his Oscar acceptance, I think for uh, Aaron Brockovich. And he said something about, as artists, you know, it's our job to create. That's what we're here for. It's not to go to premieres and, you know, be in magazines and, show your abs it's to make stuff <laughs> and I, it really stuck with me I, yeah that's I always, a good reductio yeah absurd yeah that. make stuff make that's, stuff that's yeah. what we're supposed to do let's put on a show and by the way if he does if he is a hard worker tell him um tell him just a little just putting it in there he might want to run with hamburgers and sourdough bread soda burgers it's <laughs> <laughs> an idea you can come in with your starter thing you two freaks can get out there and make meat and bread you Cave fucking logic. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm kidding you. Uh, kidding you, that pops. I'm no, uh, kidding you, right? We're Rob, comedians. I do feel guilty, of course. I do feel guilty. Uh, Rob Zombie is a big-time vegan. Doesn't eat anything. And uh, he was very excited and he heard about the show coming out. And, you know, sometimes bread is used for sandwich with pulled pork right. <laughs> and, and uh big giant slabs of beef and uh he was excited for the premiere why, what drove him to veganism i want i can get vegetarian or chicken fish veganism seems like such a long day in the park it is it is a lot of work he uh it was purely out of the love and treatment of animals Oh really? Well, at least thing. he comes at it from that way. Yeah, it's purely from that. It's he he just has a real hard time with the way that uh, this stuff is processed now. Well, when I when I go to have a hamburger, I always think of the uh, woman who was in the succubus in Aliens Two, who he was barely <laughs> keeping her alive so he could suck out of her marrow, and she looked up unexpectedly and said, "Kill me." I always, I always put the animal in the succubus and thinks, it's, "I'm out here. I'm eating shit in this lot. Can you put me down and enjoy please, me? Please help so me." That's the way I play it. 
I think of myself as the Jack Kevorkian of, yeah, very kind. Of, of Wendy's. I'm helping all these poor cows. All right, Pops, you're a good cat. How's That's life? Funny. How's your family? You good? They're good. They're doing really well. Everybody's we got kids that are starting to drive, and we have kids ah, that are God. still going to Disney, and they're all great. It's so great. I don't uh, – how how old are yours? I have a 27 and a 25 now, 20 and they're 25. happy too. So Still, it makes you feel like, as Tom Wolfe called it, a man in full. You sound like a man in full to me. Yeah, but I am, I am, I'm a little freaked out that there's only two years left for this older one before she splits. I'm a little mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. And, you know, we come from New York and we're living in L.A. And she's like looking at schools in New York. My wife's like, wait a minute. I'm paying all this money for you to go to the village when I'm living in Sherman Oaks. It's going to be well, a hard. Go down to where Tower Records used to be and head up into the hills. I'll be up there. I've got a kiln now. Throwing pottery. Did that? Did, did that uh, freak you out when they leave? Or well, did, are you? It's naturally a little different ready? with boys and daughters. I don't know. You know, if my daughter was leaving. Uh, um, I, I think it, it would make me a little more emotional, but my boys, yeah. you know, just kind of, they, they meandered out the door and they seem happy, so I was happy. I try not to look a yeah. gift life episode in the mouth, as they say. Yeah, that's good advice. Talking to Tommy Papa. His website is TomPapa.com. He's on Twitter and Instagram at T-O-M-P-A-P-A, and his Facebook is Comedian Tom Papa. You're a good cat, Tommy. Nice to talk to you. You too. Always good to hear you. All right. Later, Gator. We'll talk at you down the road. Take care. And uh, I've been Popaized. <laughs> That's all I had there. That's all I had to give you in return. Was just you want to talk about anything before we split, Christian? Uh, Any well, stories? Any mailbag? We got. We you got fucking some... do something. I've been busting my ass here. You're over there. <laughs> you right. don't even pay attention. You're just hitting a button like some whoopee cushion. No, First... I, <laughs> I mean Papa has a uh, has a podcast, so I was auditioning for him. You know, I was yeah. laughing harder at his stuff than yours. Tell him to keep it funny. Think... In other words, tell him Papa don't preach. <laughs> I've been losing sleep. Papa don't preach. I'm so glad you waited till he left. I for that. made up my mind. <laughs> I'm keeping my baby. Gonna keep my. Can you believe songs are hot for a while? Wasn't that that song, or am I making no, that up? No, you you nailed every part of that song, and I wasn't, actually think you there sung a it. Video where she's yeah. Danny Aiello's in a wife beater, and yes. she's, I'm gonna keep my baby. Exactly. Screaming. Yeah, your version's a little bit more listenable than Madonna's. The world changes overnight, doesn't it? Remember that night Madonna stole my clothing? I, I remember you telling me about it. Can I tell you that story? I don't know if you've told it on the podcast. We we told some uh, video You know what? I'm going to err on thinking that I have. Okay. Because I always do this, and then it looks like some jerk-off thing that I can repeat a story where I go, I told this, and you go, I don't think you've told it on the podcast. And I told it like earlier in this show. And we do it again. So can you so tell I'm that story say, about when you were signing autographs at a supermarket? Oh, now that story I don't mind unveiling. <laughs> Folks, sit back. Um, any mailbag? Yeah, I got something from the mailbag. Somebody, uh, next week's mailbag, to say if I've said the, uh, the Madonna. Madonna steals my clothing story. Yeah. Somebody write in. And, and, the, tell and the Mike Tyson story. Oh, Ian's I think been we... here. You've been here for all of them? All right, he's been here a couple months that he hasn't heard it, so I guess it's fair game. Uh, what time is it? 
It How is much time we've uh, in, in the time space continuum. Do people get twelve... when I talk about this time? Do they want I, you to do? Two no, hours? I don't think so. I, I think that they honestly. Like. I think they care about that in radio more than they do in podcasts. That's like a big radio. Yeah, because I always think. Uh, haven't a lot of people killed this podcast by this point? Not because Pop wasn't a dream about Bookie, but uh, you know, great guy. I thought it was a fun interview. But I'm just saying. I don't know if everybody makes it the whole way. You they? know, I'm told that uh, this show is one of the ones that people, uh, and I guess they can tell from the analytics, they actually listen all the way through to the end. Uh, and spring they're... little cobra getting ready to strike. <laughs> spring little cobra gonna. Spring little cobra getting ready to strike. Run little cobra, don't you know you're gonna shut them down. Around the far corner in the straightaway, I was blowing off everything that got in my way. The stingrays and jags were so far behind, I took my cobra out of gear and I coasted the line. All right, they're not fucking listening now. Yeah, they are definitely gone, absolutely. Uh, all right, just swam the tabula rasa. It's like an etch a sketch. Yeah, now that it's just us. I guarantee you, out. Um, I had a I had a mailbag question uh, that is from Jeff in <laughs> Palm Springs because uh, I hadn't actually heard about this. He says that Zack Snyder, the, that director, he's working on a remake of The Fountainhead, and uh, you know he Jeff feels that the original film is solid but definitely imperfect. Uh, would you be excited about a new adaptation, and who would you like to see play Howard Rourke? Well, you know, I love the uh, original one uh, because it's so melodramatic and uh, Coop's perfect. And uh, he and Pat Neal are uh, doing each other at that point in real life. So it's got that horniness to it. And But it is a little. I know Tom Ford loves that film, too, uh, the fashion designer, because he uh, did uh, guest programmer once on TCM, and that was the first film he showed. <laughs> and we've talked about it. He loves that film, and I do, too. Uh, they tried to remake uh, Ayn Rand in uh, Atlas Shrugged Troika films maybe three, four years ago, and it was a, well, ironically, a train wreck. But, well, they, well, yeah, because um, they had, like, different casts in each part. Yeah, every yeah. halfway through a line rating, you'd look over and go, <laughs> wow. It's like it's like Bella Lugosi dying during Plan 9. All of a sudden, Tor Johnson's in the cape. <laughs> Uh, but uh, who would play Howard work today? I think Russell Crowe would be. Uh, I think he's a great, stunning actor. And I guess he's a little out of shape now, though. So yeah, that's a good play, point. Uh, Atlas. He, <laughs> Russ, indeed, Russell looks like he shrugged, but uh, I always thought he'd be good at it. Um, I don't know if I'm looking forward to the remake. Some films I just enjoy for... I, I'm trying to see where they'd make it today. Ayn Rand's Beliefs by... Who, who's the guy? Oh, the, Zack Snyder? So this is Zack Snyder. Who, is he the guy who did the fucking blue guy movie? There was a blue guy standing <laughs> in the middle of the room. Everybody was vibing. The, uh, the, the blue schlong movie, Watchmen, yes. Oh. And he did Batman vs. Superman, Man of Steel. Uh, 300 is the one I think that people tend to like the most of his. Well, there's the danger he would turn it into that, and then there's the danger that he would turn it I don't know his politics, but I think they think of Ayn Rand as an idiot now. You know, if you say you like, I tell people I like Atlas Shrugged, and they look at you like you're a moron, you know, because it's about self-determinism and uh, objectivism. And let's face facts, we're a subjectivist world right now. Uh, we, we've subjectified the empirical to eventually two plus two will equal whatever you feel it equals at that moment. So um, I, I hope they don't remake it. I think they'd probably, as it is, it's a great book for me. I fond memory as a film. And I think the new one would turn into a lecture about all the shortcomings of thinking like that. Probably. 
but it has the one of my favorite lines ever when uh, um, Ellsworth Tui comes up to Howard Rourke looking at the construction site. And he's, you don't know me, do you, Mister? He goes, yes, I know you. And he goes, I stopped you from getting that job. What must you think of me? Well, I don't think of you. <laughs> Goosebumps. Um, when I when I follow people and list comments, I put the name Rorka. That's what that means to me. The town I live in, the people that I see. You ever see the Sinatra short he won an Oscar for before? From here to eternity, or whoever made it won an Oscar. No, I did not. I was not aware of this. That's America to me. He's in some sort of Bowery Boys East End kids situation. He gathers together a Benetton ad, a UN group of kids, and sings to them about how we can all come together. And so they quit badgering the the different kid. But it's pretty cool. Sinatra when he weighs like eight pounds. <laughs> Remember Ava Gardner's great line about him? He weighed one hundred and twenty pounds. And Ava said, 10 pounds of it was cocked. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was Dame. Ava. I read so many books about Ava Gardner. I'm such a big fan. And that reveal of her in Killers at the piano is, uh, you know. I mean, forget it. Watch that movie. Watch the reveal on her and just be gobsmacked at that beauty. And she was uh, she was Ava Gardner. She was ballsy. You know, she's light, frank, up constantly with bullfighters, very funny, a complete uh, sweet generous as far as an actress of that age. And uh, when she used to call Mickey Rooney, her first husband, Andy Hardon, he was always <laughs> fucking nipping at me, like, you know, Gulliver on, <laughs> on erectile dysfunction drugs. She didn't say that. I added the coda. All right. Anything up? I think uh, that's it for the... Uh, Save some mailbag. Yeah. We've got another show Wednesday. What's happening? Uh, we're going to have actor Tom Berenger here in the studio. Are you kidding me? Tommy Berenger? Yeah. Big fan. Big chill. Platoon. I think my wife, I think that scar kind of got her going in platoon. <laughs> Did you ever see the scar he has? I, I do remember that, yes. Yeah. It's a savage scar. He's so, great in that movie. So great she, actor. I think he's a great actor. I, I definitely agree with you. So your wife definitely has a type. It's him and Bibi Netanyahu, right? And me. So go figure. Oh, yeah, yeah. You. So she piled all that <laughs> male stuff up in the other two guys, and then I was the uh, rubber stopper in between checkout items and the eight items are underlined. <laughs> you know, that rubber thing you slide. <laughs> Berenger, Netanyahu, and me. I was the rubber thing down in the middle that broke their items up. <laughs> well, that's the show uh, ending, folks. I won't be reading ads over here after this. <laughs> Thank God. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Dennis Miller Option. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. <laughs>